What's up, gentlemen? This is Rising Phoenix Podcast, the podcast about how to rise up after your divorce. I'm your host, Michael Rhodes. Let's get into it. Joining me today is Dr. Kate. Uh, Dr. Kate, let's just jump right into it. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. Uh, my name is Dr. Kate Balistrieri. I'm a licensed clinical and forensic psychologist, a certified sex therapist, a packed couples therapist, and a certified sex addiction therapist. So basically, I've been working in the context and landscape of sex, intimacy, relationships, and mental health for about 16 years now. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I honestly, it escapes me how I found you. I think it was an I think it might have just been Instagram. I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. But but I was looking for someone to speak about um, uh, sexuality and and uh, some of the challenges around that um, for men um, after a divorce. And and one of the the things that I see often is that men jump into or try to jump into relationships immediately after. And uh, I always caution against that. But um, I'm, I'm not an expert. So could you talk about that? Like why? Why is that a bad idea? Why do we do it? Th- those types of things. Yeah. So I, I think everyone has their own motives, unconscious and conscious, for why they jump into a relationship or jump into a sexual context right after a breakup. But for a lot of men, um, there's a, a deep loneliness that is felt at the loss of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so often men are socialized to sort of not be present with their feelings and they don't really get a lot of uh, emotional intimacy needs met with some of their guy friends. They may not even have many guy friends that are separate from the relationship that just ended. Uh, So a lot of men unconsciously seek out uh, partners because they get a lot of social connection. They get some intimacy needs met and it's really the only place where they feel like it's acceptable for them to be vulnerable. So I think it's it's a space that offers some respite and um, it also can backfire. <laughs> well, and that's, that's, I think the key to all of that, right. Is that it, it can, and I think often does backfire. Um, why, why is that? Why, why does it backfire often? Well, I think, again, I, I don't think that this is always a conscious process, but for a lot of men, the, the women that they end up being in relationship with, immediately after a breakup, they're sort of seen as like a, a, a conduit to their next relationship. And so when you unconsciously think about someone as an instrument um, for your needs, which is kind of what that is, um, when that need is fulfilled or when it doesn't fit quite right anymore to be in that relationship, it's going to start to feel really suffocating um, or it can feel really disappointing or frustrating, or the other partner might feel like, man, does this person really like me for me? Or are they in this because I'm their, you know, sort of uh, their recovery plan. (laughs) Yeah. Do, do um, I, and I can't ask you to speak for all women, but do women, I'm going to, um, do, do, (laughs) Do women, women love that, by the way, when men speak for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm better you than me, that's for sure. Um, I don't want to speak for them. Um, but do do women um, recognize that? Do, do, the, do they know that it's possible that I'm his, him his crutch right now? And, and, and I mean, obviously, I can't imagine they, they would enjoy that. But uh, is that something that they are conscious of and look for, do you think? Look for it? Probably not, but, uh, well, not in terms of, they don't seek it out, I would say, but they, right. they 
look to see if it's happening. Certainly. Yeah. I think most people do. If they are partnering up with somebody who's in a recent breakup, they want to know if they're a rebound. Um, I don't think that's gender specific, Hmm. but, but definitely women are conditioned to sort of be available for men and to help nurture men through hard things. And many women will sort of see it as an opportunity to potentially develop some real intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean that in like a manipulative conniving way. I think no, a lot no. of these dynamics are very unconscious for everyone involved. Um, but yeah, women will definitely pick up on when they're starting to feel like they are an object, whether that's an emotional object or a sexual object, a financial object, mm-hmm. and um, really sort of in service of somebody else's needs without appreciation for who they are as an actual partner. So definitely um, more and more people, uh, again, gender inclusive, are getting wise to that and reevaluating the partnerships that they find themselves in. So that that leads to the question, and I think there's probably a lot more here, but it, it, in my head now I'm thinking, okay, uh, how, how do I how do I know then if I am indeed ready? Because there are arbitrary things like a year, which I think is wise. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, hey, take a year. Uh, I see a lot of men push back and say, oh, everyone's different, which I think is really just an excuse to say, yeah, but I'm lonely and I want to go date. <laughs> um, so what you know, a year aside or, or arbitrary dates or whatever, how do you truly know that you are ready to enact or, or to uh, um, start uh, another relationship? It's such a great question. And I wish there was a cookie cutter answer that would give people some sort of safety or a path forward, but we are all different and people start grieving their relationships at different points within or outside of the relationship. So many folks who stay in a relationship a lot longer than they needed to or wanted to will grieve that relationship and feel more detached and perhaps ready to move on uh, emotionally by the time the relationship ends. But for a lot of folks, that's not the case. So the things that I would encourage people to look for are things like, um, do you feel like you can really give to the relationship? Or does it feel like um, maybe it's a bit lopsided? Because when you're cultivating a new relationship, it's really important to ensure that it's mutual and that you're really exploring it from a place of sustainability, if that's what you're looking for. Um, but when we're really in our grief or reactive or angry at an ex, you know, we might sort of get into relationship to try and solve that wound. Mm-hmm. And that, you know backfires like we've talked about. So yeah, I would look for a lack of reactivity. Um, maybe when you've learned something about yourself and and have been able to really look at what was your part in a relationship and how whatever your part was sustained the relationship's demise. I think when we can take accountability for mm. that piece, then we can really move forward with a little bit more grace. Yeah. So that that made me think of what things uh, would signify that you're not ready. And you mentioned one, um, being angry at your ex. So I have, I'm much better, but it's been three years, Mm -hmm. but I still have some anger and I'm, so I'm not sure if I'm completely ready, but, but how do you, so besides anger and we can delve in a little bit more, but what are other things that maybe are indications that like, no, I, I actually, I'm not ready at all. Well, I wouldn't say that being angry is a sign that you're not ready. I would say being reactive in Mm -hmm. your anger. 
would be for me something that I would say, maybe it's not time, right? To bring that energy to another person. There's more healing that needs to be done. But some other signs you asked are that people are not ready. Yeah. Yeah. If they're having difficulty staying focused, if they're still going through a lot of um, really intense uh, court-related dissolution stuff or gnarly custody battle, you know, anything that might limit your ability to be present with yourself Mm. or present with a partner Um, And I say that because when we're caught up in the chaos of ending a relationship, especially in marriage, when things can be very complicated, um, we're more vulnerable to picking partners who may not be good for us or with whom we may not be a good fit. So it's important to, to, you know, be able to stay more present so you can evaluate, do I like this person? Mm. Are they a good fit for me? Um, Do we really jive or am I just sort of like, going along with it because it's convenient yeah i think it it can be difficult to to not only ask these questions but answer them Mm because it does require some significant self-reflection and i think oftentimes especially men and i i also don't as as my listeners know i don't like to generalize but it is something that happens uh we all have tendencies um but, but i do think that men uh, really struggle with that self-reflection piece because it's 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 hurtful to take on some of the blame. Now, some guys go the opposite and blame themselves 100%. I see all all mixes, but but I think for men to sit with feelings is really, really difficult. And so then it can be hard to know where you're really at. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the challenge is for men is to, and I encourage them to do it all the time, sit with your feelings, embrace them. You can't run from them. And I, and I think that's what uh, a new relationship, a new girlfriend signifies is, is just an escape route. For a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. A new relationship means, see, I'm not broken. Yes. I can do this. I'm, I'm healed. I wasn't the bad guy or girl yes. or person. Um, someone else likes me. So I, it can't have been my fault, right? We have a lot of unconscious motivations that drive a quick rebound. Um, but I really appreciate what you said. And and that is that it's so hard to take accountability for what our part in a relationship is, especially if we feel aggrieved, yeah. right? Especially if, if yes. you were betrayed or if your partner was abusive and no one is responsible for their partner's abusive behavior. And looking at kind of what are what are the elements of my background? What are the elements of my ability to regulate my feelings or take care of myself that may have created vulnerabilities um, that I can better protect myself around moving forward is an important question to ask. Yeah, that means that makes me think you said um, essentially self-soothing, right? The ability yeah. to, 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 to calm yourself, to make yourself feel okay with the world and, and yourself. I think that's a really important skill. And I think from my perspective, I think you need that in a relationship, not that you can't rely on other folks, partners to soothe you at times, but Mm -hmm. I think it's unfair. And I think men, women, whoever, I do think this is a a male tendency, again, general generalities, but Mm -hmm. to rely upon the partner to make you feel better. And I think that's, I think that's a heavy burden to bear for the, for the partner and, and a responsibility that Perhaps, do you, here's a question, does that get tiresome for folks? I would imagine that it would, but I, I don't know. 
Uh, I, I've never heard that specifically. Oh, he always made me feel like I had to take care of him. I, I guess that, I guess maybe I've maybe I've heard that, but but is that a is that a thing? Do do people get tired of being the emotional? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a whole thing. Um, it's, it's a really common relationship dynamic for uh, cishet folks because of the ways that we are all conditioned to relate to our feelings and relate to each other. So your point about regulation is a really important one. Um, men are often, and of course I'm speaking in a, with a broad umbrella and I recognize hashtag not all men, but for the most part, um, men are conditioned to really dismiss away their own awareness of the majority of their emotional uh, experiences, physiological experiences related to emotions. And really they emerge in as adults in, in their masculinity with kind of like just a few options. Mm. All of their emotions get funneled into anger <laughs> Um Shame sometimes, but that usually quickly turns to anger. Yes. yes. Um, and then happiness and pride, yeah. right? So men are often conditioned away from feelings like sadness or shame or loneliness or fear, things like that. And they do look to their female partners to kind of handle and manage those emotions for them. And in a healthy relationship, that kind of co-regulation is great. It's important we can't only self-regulate, yeah. right? We have to be able to co-regulate with other human beings and our partner becomes that person with us and for us. But what happens is because so many men are conditioned away from emotional intelligence, they don't have the ability to do that with their partner. So their female partner ends up taking on the majority of that mental load um, and emotional labor. And that's where things start to move from two people feeling like partners to one partner feeling like a parent. And it's exhausting. And one of the most common um, relationship ending points that I see. So you don't think it's necessarily that there's no self-regulation on the one partner's part, the man's, we'll just generalize because it's easier right now. Okay. Um, it's not so much that he isn't regulating his own emotions it's it's that he can't handle hers is that do i have that right it's both right it's it's um for folks who have been again sort of socialized away and conditioned away from their own emotional experiences any emotion that they feel over a certain threshold in their own body can flood them and so what can happen is that can very quickly shut them down or they can go into sort of an explosive state Right. Mm. And so there become these these very stark polarities in which a lot of men navigate their own feelings. They either totally shut down or they can externalize and get explosive or get angry or demonstrative in some other way. Um, women are socialized to have more nuance, more tolerance for myriad emotions. Right. So I'm not saying that men are bad at no. all. But the way that we are conditioned leaves men without a lot of relational and emotional skills that can be learned, but often learning them is in competition with how a lot of men understand themselves as men. So they're put into this really pernicious loyalty bind of, I'm either a man, and that means I'm limited in these ways, right. but that's a badge of honor, or I learn these things over here and my masculinity might be questioned. 
Yeah, that is sort of the the rub or the challenge or whatever you want to call it. That that is the difficulties I think we face today. I I, I have uh, my best friend in the world, Chris, who's been on the podcast uh, three separate times. He and I have had this conversation that the challenges we face today as as humans is definitely evolved from what we used to face, you know, a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. And the challenges of today aren't where am I going to get, you know, my meal, you know how do I survive those types of questions? I think it's shifted into much more mental and emotional. And how do, how do I deal with the things that life throws at us every single day? And I mm-hmm. think, again, generalizing, but I think men are at a, a pretty big disadvantage and it. So it's hard to figure out. I, even for me, I think I have a pretty decent grasp on the need for emotional intelligence and the um, I have a desire to have it. But there is that part of me that's like, you know, that I usually try to tell that voice to shut the fuck up. But there's that, you know, be a man, you know, and I'm like, ah, fuck off. But it's still, you know, it's still there because it's, yeah, it's just what we're supposed, that's how we're supposed to behave. And it's, it's, it can be incredibly difficult. Um, And I see it all the time, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, 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 in my support group, it's, it's definitely, I think, I'm probably being grandiose. I have the tendency to do such things, but it's, I think it's the biggest challenge we face as men is that balance. Yeah. I mean, I I would, I would agree that that is a huge um, concern for a lot of men and it's why we are seeing such an increase um, and discrepancy uh, between men and women in the number of cases of uh, substance misuse, high risk behavior, um, suicide attempts and completion. Uh, these are all things that affect men with significant, um, significantly uh, higher numbers uh, of frequency and severity. So when we look at that and we look at the why, it's because they have not really been taught how to regulate their feelings more appropriately. They haven't taught how to uh, be vulnerable and be authentic, right? So there's this sort of performative nature of their masculinity that a lot of men have been told is the right way to be a man. And it really limits them. I think it's the biggest um, grift, honestly, uh, of, of the modern world is this idea that this hegemonic masculinity is the way to be a man because it's robbed so many men of being whole humans and experiencing everything they have the potential to experience. Yeah. It just sometimes just makes me incredibly sad when I think about it, because I know, I know the statistics, you know, I know the divorce or the, uh, the suicide stats, you know, Mm -hmm. I feel like I, I I cite them often, Uh, you know, 38 divorced men a day in the United States kill themselves. And uh, I, I just can't, sometimes hard to wrap my head around that fact. And it's just, it's just sad. And, and, and I don't, I think I know what the answer is, but I'm, I'm going to ask you, I, I, am I'm not a, I don't have a PhD. I don't have a, a, a medical degree. I have degrees, but they're have nothing to do with mental health at, like at all. Um, so this, I only know what I know because I interview folks like yourself. I read a lot of books. Um, and I'm obviously invested in this, um, space that we're in. Mm-hmm. And I think essentially it's it's trying to save men's lives, especially men that are going through divorce. But uh, with that said, you are an expert, I would say you have a PhD. So what's the answer? And I know that's very like uh, such a simple question and probably a very, very large answer. But if you could boil it down, uh, what what is the answer? How do we fix this? 
Well, which question are we answering? Uh, why why do men uh, why 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 do we why do we kill ourselves at a higher rate? And and and, and well, I think I know the why, but what do we do about that? Why why are we so bad with emotions that it leads to things like alcoholism, drug addiction? Mm-hmm. prostitution, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then ultimately, unfortunately, possibly suicide. How do we well, fix I, that? I think one of the answers, it, it's a multifaceted answer, but one of the solutions is what you're doing right now with your podcast, right? You are holding space for men to think about these things and be more curious and more introspective and to get support from other men. And that is really such an important component of healing. I'm not sure if you saw it or if anyone listening saw it, but a few months ago, Saturday Night Live did a spoof called The Man Park. Did I you did see, see that? that. Yes, I did see that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So for a lot of men listening or anyone listening, if you didn't see it, yeah. the premise of the skit was talking basically about how men are so dependent on their female partners for all of their social and emotional interaction that the women bring them to a man park so they can socialize <laughs> with other men. <laughs> right. So this is the solution, right? Is men building intimacy with each other that doesn't depend on aggression, that doesn't depend on competition, that doesn't depend on the dehumanization or objectification of women or anyone else. I don't know if you know this or not. I mean, you might know it implicitly, but um, there's a lot of research out there that talks about how uh, men objectify women as a form of bonding with each other. Right. And so we have to create other ways of connection between men so they can learn that they don't need to be constantly proving their virility or their competence as breadwinners or their athletic um, ability and agility. You know, we have to sort of move these these benchmarks of masculinity around and create new goals. And when men show up and do that with each other, it's beautiful. There's so much healing. There's so much growth and they get a lot from those connections. And then they find their romantic and sexual partnerships to be that much more rewarding. So what, what are those things then? What are those new goals and benchmarks? And I, and I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but, but you know, what, 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 what are some of them or, or, or one of them? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think one of the goals that, that I might opine is to really, um, acknowledge the totality of your humanness, right? Mm -hmm. And that looks like building emotional awareness and intelligence, building relational awareness and intelligence, developing empathy for themselves and for other people, and really looking at um, the ways in which they've been socialized to perform, right? I think a lot of men are told you have to do, you have to win, you have to make money, you have to drive this car, you've got to do all these things. And then you'll be man enough to to do what? I don't know, to prove to get a woman to yeah. prove yourself. Right. Um, so we've got to take away all of that like precarious performative attachment to masculinity. If you identify as a man, you're a man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and really I think it's about creating just a more holistic humanness within. Is it, I'm going to, I'm not, I don't know if it's devil's advocate, but I'm going to, cause I, cause I, I, cause I agree with you, but I, I also hear maybe it's that voice in my head, or maybe it's the thousands of other men that I've, I've, I've seen throughout um, my time in, in doing this. Um, is it a question of being more feminine? 
Well, herein lies the trap, right? Herein lies the trap of this patriarchal conditioning. Yes. We have yeah. we have assigned certain traits to be masculine or feminine in the constructs of gender. Mm. So what does that mean? It, it means that over time, we've conflated anatomy with a prescribed set of roles. Mm. And if you really look at the history of the human condition, this is a fairly recent phenomenon, especially in its rigidity. Um, so today, this, this sort of binary uh, experience of gender is just really um, forced, and it creates fear when we have only two options of how to think about ourselves and how to be in life prescribed by these rules that are totally made up, um, then there's a lot of fear. If I'm not this, then I'm that. Mm -hmm. And when there's so much misogyny and hatred toward women in the world, fear of women, um, prejudice against women, then becoming like them is a terror for folks who have been told they're bad. Mm so I think we need to really stop gendering activities too. Right? Mm-hmm. Women are smart. Women are successful. Women are patient. Sure. Women are all these things as, as can men be, as are yeah. men. Yeah. Right. And so when we really stop to think about what are these ideas of masculine and feminine and what is our attachment to them, there's more freedom to live a more integrated experience. No, so I, 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 yeah, I hear what you're saying there. It's, uh, and, and I, again, I don't disagree, but I think, it's uh kind of fighting against what hundreds of years of um, yeah yeah well i might invite you or anybody who's kind of you know chewing on this or having a reaction to what i'm saying which i totally you know i get it it's hard to challenge the things we've been told are truths um but i might invite you to think about instead of using the language masculine and feminine substitute masculine with active and feminine with passive. And I'm not saying that those things are true, but if we look at the polarities in that way, we all have more passive parts and more active parts of us. Yeah. We all have, you know, we, and we need to, to survive. Yeah. We have to have a passivity to fall asleep. We have to have activity to wake up. Right. And so when we look at the ways in which everyone can and does espouse these polarities away from gender, we start to look at like the function of those behaviors and ideas. It's more accessible to possess them. Okay. So besides anatomy, is there a characteristic, a personality trait that you, that we can say is that, oh, that's a masculine thing or well, that's, that's a feminine thing. I, Cause I'm just curious. I think where I'm going is no, and just be whoever the fuck you want to be. Right. I mean, but Perhaps there are some things that are, I'm trying to, you know, look at all sides, I guess. Yeah, I I think this is a really complicated conversation and it's a nuanced one. So I I would be hesitant to just, you know, blank slate say yes or no. But what I would offer is that there, there are, how do I want to say this? It's important to validate the experience of people who identify in a certain way. So for folks who identify as men, for example, and who were raised within the construct of masculinity and its definition looks like whatever it looks like, right? That's their experience as a man. So I don't want to say that their gender identity is moot or doesn't exist or that kind of thing. But I, I would say that really a lot of 
if not all of the character traits that we assign to masculine or feminine are a construct. And we've been conditioned to perform in those constructs for, you know, a a ridiculously long time, but they're not necessarily our organic truth. I always, uh, I say this often when I do these things, I'm always thinking about what we talk about. So sometimes I have to take a pause and sort of like um, <laughs> try and figure out what did I just hear and how does that apply to me? And then, I mean, and you're right, this is nuanced and and uh, could probably go on for hours and hours. And, and wasn't the, um, uh, I mean, it was probably, I think it was part of the intention, but it wasn't, the, I didn't want it to be the focus, not that that's a bad thing, but um, we did get, Kind of bit off track, but that's okay. Uh, that happens all the time. Rabbit <laughs> holes, as I say. So let's steer it back to um, what was part of our original, uh, was part of the pre-interview. And that, that was why I originally was looking for a, a sex therapist. Uh, uh, specifically, it was is someone reached, a, a listener reached out to me and said, hey, uh, I'd really like it if you could bring on someone to talk about performance issues, uh, sexual performance issues, uh, erectile dysfunction, whatever we want to call it. Um, and, and I think it's the, the context is I'm just getting back out there dating and I can't get it up for lack of a better, more eloquent description. <laughs> um, uh, what, what, what is, what hap- what is happening when that occurs? Like what is the reason <clears throat> medical issues aside, what's going on up here? Sure. So if we control for medication issues and medical um, or biological issues, a lot of the psychology behind erectile dysfunction is around anxiety. Um, Sometimes it's around uh, a lack of interest, but usually it's around anxiety, Um, a fear of will I be enough or um, will this be fun for this person? Um, Sometimes when we're just getting out of a relationship that was really meaningful, it can also feel a little bit like a betrayal to sleep with someone else. And so sometimes our anatomy communicates that to us by refusing to participate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it can be about a lot of things, grief, sadness, depression, anxiety, fear, um, guilt, maybe a little shame sometimes too can underlie. I think it calls back to one of those signs, right? That maybe you're not ready. Potentially, but also, I mean, we we do heal in relationship too. So we can only do so much healing on our own. And then the rest of that has to happen in a relationship because when we have relational wounds, it's not a solo journey after that to kind of put ourselves back together. I struggle with that one because I'm not saying it wrong. Clearly, you know, like I like I said, you're you know, my degrees aren't in, in any of these things. So um <laughs> But I struggle with that because I I feel like that's and I, and I don't even think you're wrong because I think there are certain things that I don't know if it's healing the way I view it is there are certain things that I don't know that I've fixed or improved or worked on because they're relationshipal is that a fucking word uh, issues and I, so <laughs> and I just made it up uh, <laughs> and so I don't know where I'm at because I'm not in a relationship so so but I don't I don't mm-hmm. know if that's the same as is healing. I just, I think it's sort of a check for me to be like, okay, that I've learned that skill or I've unlearned that skill or whatever. Um, I I hear what you're saying. Um, I'll clarify what I meant by that. When we have relational injuries, right? Like broken trust, for example, Mm, or um, feeling 
hurt or or just really aggrieved in a relationship, when when things go sour, um, it can sometimes impair our ability to have confidence in a new relationship, uh, trust in a new partner. And so there's only so much we can do on our own to assuage those fears or address those wounds um, before we have to take the risk to be in relationship again. And it's only when we are willing to sort of do that and we have a reparative experience that we can kind of address the whole picture of that earlier injury. And and I would guess you would need to be pretty open about that, right? Because how could you how could you heal or how how could they help you heal trust, for instance, if you're not mm-hmm. honest and say, hey, you know what, because of this last thing, I have this thing. Isn't it? I mean, I think that's important in relationships in general. We all say that communication, but I don't know how much we actually practice it. But isn't that a, an important part of it as well, where you have to say, like, this is where I'm at? Because I, I know that's yeah. I think that's essential. I, I do, too. I agree wholeheartedly. Right. When we can be transparent about what our feelings are, what our tender parts are, what our needs are, we stand a much greater chance of cultivating the kind of relationship that we want and weeding out partners who aren't going to be able to meet us there. Mm -hmm. So I see it as a necessary um, part of trusting yourself in a new relationship Mm -hmm. to communicate with a partner and say, hey, here's where I'm at. And I would love if we are on the same page. And if we're not, I honor myself and you enough to to back away. Uh, this stuff is just, uh, it tickles every bone in my body. I love these topics. Um, I, I think it's essential to having healthy relationships to really ask these questions of yourself and look at where you're at and and understand yourself so that, you know, guys, we don't want to do this again. Divorce rates for second marriages are, are 67%. Yeah. I have no interest in doing it again. You know, there's people, of course, who are like, ah, oh, I'm never getting married. I don't know, maybe whatever. But I do know that if I do, I don't want to repeat the same mistakes. I don't want to have the same outcome. And so I think these conversations are really important because I I, I don't know that men hear these things. It's, you know, I don't know that they even consider some of these things. And I think it's if you're if you're if you don't want to repeat it, you gotta you can't do the same things over and over. The literal definition of insanity, doing the same thing the same way and expecting different results, right? And yeah. we're all guilty of it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, and, and especially when it, it, I shouldn't say especially, but at times uh, when a relationship ends, you're like, oh, it was, it was her. It wasn't me. Yeah, I just need to find another one. Right. <laughs> and then you find another one and you're like, oh, it's the same thing. All women suck. Like, oh, come on, man. Um, but anyway, um, so uh, we also talked about something you brought up, and uh, I am a complete novice, we'll say. I'd be nice to myself on this particular topic. It's mm-hmm. something that you you wanted to discuss. And so um, I'm not even sure if I have it the, correctly. The Madonna whore complex, is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's something you wanted to bring up and discuss because uh, you felt it was relevant, and and I am all ears. So let's let's discuss. Let's talk. Yeah. Well, for, for your edification, for anybody who's not familiar with that, complex, the Madonna whore complex, or sometimes the Madonna whore dichotomy um, is what it's called. It, it exists in a, in a sense that um, the men who experience it often see women as being either someone they can love and respect and partner with, or somebody with whom they can be sexual, but they don't have to care about them. They don't have to worry about their feelings or, or, you know, really even consider them 
consider their experience at all. Um, so this sort of extreme bifurcation of how women are experienced and considered and thought of can become really amplified after hard relationship breakups, um, because at its core, it's about objectification, right? And some women become uh, an object through whom I seek redemption or love or care or worthiness. And other women become um, a vehicle for my guilt, my shame, my destruction, my um, lack of empathy. You know, they, they get all the parts of me that I think are not okay to bring to this person I love. And so it can create a lot of um, hard relationships and, and tough moments for folks. Uh, I work with so many men who struggle with this and don't know how to integrate loving and fucking with the same person. Isn't it a, um, man, I had something there. It's kind of a callback to, to some of the earlier stuff in, in that it's, again, I think an inability for men to, to figure out how to integrate and regulate emotions. So it kind of, if they, if they don't deal with it, then they can separate. If that makes any kind of sense. I, I think what I'm trying to say is it's the inability to, to really deal with emotions. So you can, you can sort of mm -hmm. hate, you hate, Oh, that's what I was going to go with. So you can, you can, you can hate women because you're angry and you, you can't deal with your emotions. So you go to hate. And, and so you hate women and that's easier but you, you kind of need them. Right. And yeah. so then you, 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 you don't, it's almost like you're at war with yourself a, a little bit. Right. Totally. Totally. And, and the women that, that are interacted with become sort of a, a representation of that inner polarity. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm either good or I'm bad. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't know how to regulate my feelings. All of us when, throughout the course of our development experience that sort of black and white, good or bad, we call it object relations. So we sort of learn about who we are based on the ways that we interact with caregivers. And before we understand that our caregivers are whole human beings with a whole complex experience of their own, we just see them as people who give us a bottle or food and change our diaper when we need it, or people who don't. And so it creates this sort of internal um experience of bifurcation or or um, a dichotomy and so when folks don't learn how to humanize themselves properly coupled with systemic ideologies about women and men and how they're supposed to relate to each other and, and all the things that we've been talking about women are sort of seen as this like perpetual good breast or bad breast mm. right is there a flip side to that is there a female version so to speak if you know what i mean that's a good question. Um, you know, definitely women can see men in polarities too and in black and whites, but it's just not risen to the, the level of um, systemic observation that we see with men and, and the degradation that can come with seeing women as sexual and therefore bad and not respectable and all of the things that go with the, the perpetual sex shaming of women and um, implicit demands that women remain pure and good in order to be respectable, pure. I'm putting that in quotes. Right. It's a dangerous term. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I suppose that it's, um, I mean, there are, of course, negative uh, experiences that men have uh, mm -hmm. with women and, and how they're viewed, but 
I think when you look, and I, I at one point I think I did look at these statistics. When you look at like, there's a reason that you know, men are sort of looked at in a certain way, and, and again, generalizing or whatever. But you know, rapes and murders of of you know uh, spouses and and, and mm-hmm. partners and stuff. It's it's largely the man that's doing these things. So uh, <laughs> it's hard not to take that view sometimes and be like, well, guys, there's a because re- because I see it all the time in, in like. Um, in my support group where, where guys are like, oh, she filed a, a, a false, um, you know, uh, domestic violence claim. Yeah. And, and so now everything's like, it, it changes everything. And, and there's, there's a reason those claims are taken seriously, right? Mm-hmm. It's just not willy nilly out of the blue. Like, oh, okay. We just, we just, there's no reason for us to believe her. You know, men haven't done shitty things. Women have too. I'm not saying they haven't, but but there's a reason that these things occur. Now, what I will say is, and this is definitely off topic, but there should be consequences. There isn't for people that falsely accuse. And there isn't. And that's, I still think there should be, especially when it comes to, you know, children and 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 like access to children. If you lose your kids over false accusations, that's, you should be punished in some kind of way. I don't know what that is, but it's what a terrible and horrible thing to do. But there is precedent for believing women where we don't have a great track record, fellas. <laughs> yes. Um, yet there are so many men who are not abusive, who are yeah, not of course. physically dangerous and, and all of those things to women. Um, and the men are responsible for um, so much of the violence that occurs toward women. Especially, um, I was surprised to read that Actually, I'm not surprised, but I was surprised that it rose. Um, but when women are pregnant, the actual number one cause of mortality is uh, an intimate partner. So there's just so much violence against women. And um, the more vulnerable they are, the higher the violence is most of the time. So there is good reason for um, women and the legal system to really take even the smallest of boundary infractions seriously because it can so quickly escalate. And no one really knows until they get there um, if it's going to be them. You know, I used to work uh, in multiple prisons and I've worked with many men who have been abusive to their partner. And some of those instances have resulted in homicide. Um, Others have resulted in uh, other forms of intimate partner violence. And I can't tell you how many of them didn't see it coming inside of themselves. They didn't know. They didn't know they were capable of that. Wow. I feel like we feel like we fell into a large rabbit hole. Um, (laughs) How in the hell did you do that job? Like, well especially as a woman like how how could you i mean you know you're you're there to help but like the the premise in which you're and i don't know the the exact details here but but being around that being a woman Mm -hmm. i mean you're you're obviously a a a very smart person you have uh the ability to understand it's just that there's probably some reasoning behind what they did shitty Mm -hmm. childhoods etc etc but still there's what <laughs> the desire to help those people how did how did you how, how did you find that how did you it, it, like, like how did i find the desire to help them within you yeah those particular gentlemen who did these particular things well i have the radical belief that all human beings are human beings right and none of us are created in a vacuum True. so we have to humanize 
each other. Mm. And I do not condone any abusive or violent behavior. Let me make that very clear. But my personal philosophy in in the work that I do is when we can understand what compels violence, Mm. when we can understand what compels some of the destructive behavior in human relationships, we have a better likelihood of preventing future violence. So for me, it's all about let's try to reduce recidivism. Let's try to improve relationships. Let's try to create preventive medicine, um, psychological medicine that helps people heal the earlier wounds that contribute to increased violence and panic. Um, so that's my whole, that was my reason for doing it. it, it did you find that, you know, and if this is too personal, whatever, we, we can definitely switch, but I'm just curious, did you, was that who you always were or did you develop that like through the course of life, through the course of school? Like, was, was that just who, is that just who you are? Well, again, none of us are born and created in a vacuum. So obviously the things that I've been through in life have influenced how I see human behavior. Um, but what I'll say is that I, I've always been somebody who's been fascinated by true crime documentaries. Um, I really have always wondered how can people do these things to each other, especially the people they claim they care about. Um, so growing up, I, I think I've seen every episode of every law and order <laughs> and uh, pretty much, uh, every uh, show on investigation discovery. And just, I I'm always curious about how things escalate and what could have been done to prevent that. So, um, it made a, it made sense for me to go into forensic psychology and, and really try to deepen my understanding and try to impact, um, you know, that progression. So what, uh, here's a million dollar question. What's the answer? Like, what do you, how, how do you prevent those things? Uh, that's probably not a fair question, but. <laughs> well, it, you know it's a, yeah, it's, it's a complicated question, but I'm going to say something that probably will make me unpopular on your podcast, but um, really a huge component to reducing violence is changing the definition of masculinity away from this sort of traditional hegemonic toxic masculinity that contains in it a lot of the um, conditioning that creates that like vulnerable um, steam valve in folks. And, and, and then it's a, a question of looking at what are the systemic um, implications that need to change in addition to that. So it's about providing sex education, providing education that is really competent in general, um, emotionally intelligent education and focusing on developing those skills early in our children's development and, and universally, right? If we just have a couple of families in a school that are really keyed into emotional intelligence and then they go to school and that's not something that's taught, it won't catch as much. So when we have that as part of our curriculum. I think all of those things combined can really help. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I, I honestly, I think, you know, I think the people, the men that listen to this podcast are looking for answers mm-hmm. and they are open to any of those answers. And I think the people, the men that are fire, uh, just, just pissed off at the world and hate women, they're probably not listening anyway. So, honestly, because they they haven't figured out, and the answer is women suck. Okay, good 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 luck with that. See see how it works out for you. So I think I I, you know I don't think 
maybe a few i'll leave room for error right uh but i don't think anyone i don't think many people are gonna you're not gonna get any hate mail at least <laughs> motherfuckers better not send any hate mail i'll tell you that right now i appreciate that <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't think that's gonna happen it's never happened before uh at least not that i know of yeah no, no one's ever reached out um no mm-hmm. that wouldn't be fucking cool at all so so i don't i think what i'm trying to say is i think the guys that are listening are open and and they probably would would if they are honest with themselves they probably would agree with you uh, yeah. because again if you look at stats and info and it's 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 largely men that are doing these really violent and that, now are there some females of course there are there's always exceptions to the rule but if you're looking at if we're talking about majority of things then you know we right. as men have done some shitty things we've done some great things too don't get me wrong it can be i think there's this you're talking about black and white thinking i think that's a so prevalent in our society i think it's it's really dangerous it is something is either this or that and that's just not the human uh experience we're all so multifaceted and we have many components and things that are just uh, you know in some ways opposite you know right um but so i think it's it, it it's helpful for us to I think take a step back and try and see things through a different lens and not of a black and white type of lens. I couldn't agree more. I want to add with, um, or, or end with just a, a, a reminder that men are not trash and women are not crazy. Right. Yeah. So it's really important that we challenge these stereotypes and these tropes. And I love that you're doing this work and inviting these conversations because when we can stop from these sort of reductionistic labels of ourselves and of whoever we perceive as an other we really get access to so much more richness in our lives and so much more peace and that i think is really um the goal i'm gonna ask you just one more it's just uh, the quick one uh what words of wisdom would you uh, first of all thank you for all this this is amazing thank you very much we will definitely do it again uh what are some words of wisdom you would impart to a man who has just started his divorce process Mm, be kind to yourself, right? Taking accountability can be hard, whether you were at fault. I hate that language, but you know, whatever your part was in in the dissolution of the relationship, be kind to yourself and also um, you know, be honest and accountable. It gives you power to um know what is your part so that you can move forward and heal with integrity and really have the life that you want. Um you know, when, when the pain settles down, uh, I would also encourage them to work with a therapist, you know, where we work with folks at these junctures every day and, um, you don't have to do it alone. Well, Dr. Kate, thank you so, so, uh, Dr. Kate, thank you so very much for, for doing this. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. We'll definitely do it again. Uh, I think this one will come out pretty quickly. I'll I'll give you a heads up when it does. Thank you so very much. This was wonderful. Thank you again for inviting me. Thank you so much for watching and or listening. Thank you to Nick Coyle and Lifer for allowing me to use their song born again, which you're hearing now and at the intro to the podcast. Thank you to Justin Dillahanty and all of my brothers at the Alpha Code. Please visit the website risingphoenixpodcast.com to connect with me and other like-minded men who are looking to thrive and grow after their divorce. And remember to surround yourself with people who add value to your life, who challenge you to be greater than you were yesterday, who sprinkle magic into your existence like you do to theirs. Life is not meant to be done alone. Find your tribe. Take care.